Have you ever considered the scale of the planet that we live on? It's kind of an interesting exercise because from many, many points of view, you can realize just how small each individual person is and how vast the scope of this planet is. The depths of the ocean, the heights of the mountains, the widths of the plains and the deserts, it boggles the mind to think about how tiny we are and the fact that no single person will ever be able to explore even every square inch of this ball that we live on. No single person can take all of it in in one lifetime. It's just too vast and too interesting and too intricate and too beautiful to truly appreciate everything that God has put here. And yet, we've sent people out into space and they've taken pictures looking back this direction that have helped us to see that even though it is so much grander than each of us, It's just this big blue rock hurtling through an infinitely vast emptiness. It blows the mind, doesn't it? To think of how big it is and how relatively small it can be, depending on your perspective. I think that smallness is something that we should lean into once in a while. Actually, I think both of those are things that we should lean into, that we should be in awe of both. You should be in awe of the fact that God has made something that is so big that humans can't fathom it. And yet, even that big thing is small in comparison to everything else that he has made. I think both of those realizations can help us to understand why in Psalm 8, the the divinely inspired writer says, What is man that you are mindful of him? What in the world about us makes God pay attention to these tiny little beings that we are? And the answer is, there's really nothing about us that makes him do that. But there is something about him that makes him pay attention to us. That in our smallness, in our weakness, in our pathetic state without him, God cares enough to give us his great love. What I hope to do today is to draw your attention to the fact that over and over again through the history of God and his people, that he has brought heaven down to touch this little blue pebble hurtling through space and to speak to us and to make contact with us as a demonstration of his great love for us. We're going to be heading toward the passage you see referenced there on the bottom of the screen at John chapter 1 and verse 14. But I want us to get there in a bit of a roundabout way. Because I want us to see that all throughout history, God has been showing us that it was his intent to come and dwell among us. And so there are a handful of places in the scriptures where you see that humans cannot ascend to heaven. And by the way, only thing I'm going to have on the screen today is going to be scriptures. And so some of these blanks, I'll just be telling you what to put in. And that's the first one. Humans cannot ascend our way into heaven. In Genesis chapter 11, in the first nine verses, you have the story that is most commonly referred to as the Tower of Babel. And what happens at the Tower of Babel is that a group of humans look up to the heavens and they say, you know, we could be like the gods. Let's build a tower to honor ourselves and to climb up into the presence of God himself. Let's be the ones who make our own names great, who make ourselves something special. And of course, God looks down on that and he says, this is not good. 
This is not the way that things are supposed to be, especially these sinful people. This is not the way it's supposed to be done. And so he confuses their languages and he scatters them. Because it's not right and it's not possible that we should try to climb our own way into heaven. Fast forward from that into the times of the kings and you see over and over again where the the kings who have left their faithfulness to God are setting up high places. Why would they specifically be called high places? What difference would it make where you worship a God, whether up or whether down? Because what they're trying to do is climb their way higher and higher into the presence of God. And it doesn't work. It leads the people further and further and further away from their God. What's interesting about the way the Bible stories unfold is that heaven and earth can only come together when God chooses it. Not when we decide to climb into His presence. It is only when He in His infinite grace condescends to our level and brings us into His presence that we can enjoy the fellowship and the goodness that we are destined to have if we are faithful to Him. And so that's why this next section of your study guide is by far the biggest section for today. Because I want to show you a handful of places in your Bible where heaven and earth do overlap. Where God has made the decision to come to us and to bring us His good blessings, not letting us go and seek those out on our own because we will do a pitiful job. But He's made it a point to come and seek out us and give us His blessings. And this starts at the very beginning. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created mankind. He saw that it was not good that mankind would be alone. And so He created womankind. And He put the two of them together in a garden. And in that garden, they had perfect fellowship with God. And had they stayed obedient to God and faithful to Him, that fellowship could have continued. Where day after day, mankind and God walked together and talk together in peaceful, beautiful, harmonious fellowship. And yet they walk away. But that was God's intent. It was a place where heaven and earth came together, where people were in the presence of God, not by their design, but by His design. Scoot forward a little bit into the text of Genesis and you land in chapter 28. And in chapter 28, and this is page 21 in our pew Bibles, if you'd like to look over there and scan through it. In chapter 28, starting in verse 10, we have the account of Jacob in his long travels between the different stages of his life, stopping for the night in a place that came to be known as Bethel, the house of God. And in that place, he sets a stone up for his pillow. He falls asleep and he has a vision of a great ladder or a great staircase with God at the top of it, Jacob at the bottom of it, and the angels going and coming up and down the staircase between heaven and earth. And Jacob says this in that passage. When he awakes in verse 16, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And so he came to call the place Bethel, the house of God. It's interesting, isn't it? That in the life of Jacob, God chooses this one time to say, to to show rather, that heaven has come down to overlap and to touch this little blue pebble hurtling through space. What a remarkable gift that Jacob was able to see it. And then you scan forward a little bit more in the history of God and His people, and you land in Exodus chapter 25. 
And starting in Exodus 25 and really going all the way, uh, not even starting, yeah, it is starting there. Starting in 25 and going all the way through the end of the book of Exodus, God lays out a plan for what he calls the tent of meeting or the sanctuary or the tabernacle. And it was a place that was going to be set up in the middle of God's people as they camped all around it in the middle of the camp of God's people as they migrated through the wilderness. There was the tabernacle. And it was the place that was designed in many ways to reminisce of the Garden of Eden when mankind and God were together. And here, God says, there will be in the middle of that tabernacle, in the middle of the the entire group of my people, there will be the seat called the mercy seat. That is the very throne of God. Now they couldn't go to that throne. They couldn't get all the way to that place. But it is significant, isn't it? That God says, I'm bringing my presence among you where heaven and earth can overlap. And this most holy place, the presence of God himself will be in the middle of your camp because it is at the very core of your identity. And so in Exodus 25, in verses 8 and 9, God says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle you and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Why is he so adamant that it's done his way? Because it is not up to mankind to determine where heaven and earth overlap. It is up to God to determine where heaven and earth come together and where his presence is among his people. Now, scan forward a handful of hundreds of years in the Bible timeline, and you land in 1 Kings chapter 5. And in 1 Kings chapter 5, we're starting to read there the story of God designing and bringing about the construction of His temple. The tabernacle was a a temporary structure. It was meant to be moved about. The temple is going to be the permanent structure, the place where God chooses to set His name for all the generations of, of His people's faithfulness. And in 1 Kings chapter 5, all the preparations are made so that God's house can, can, can be begun. That the construction of this process, the, sorry, that the construction process can be begun. And so verse 2 of uh, the 1 Kings chapter 5, this is page 264. Solomon sent word to Hiram, the king of another nation, and he said, You know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. And so I intend to build a house For the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David my father, your son whom I will set on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. It's awesome, isn't it? Like we're we're getting, we're progressing in this story that now we're going to have a permanent place where time and time again we can go to that place and we can know that the presence of God is among his people because he promised that it was. And so there again is a most holy place in the center of that whole complex. And there again is the Ark of the Covenant. And there again is the mercy seat, the throne of God Himself, come to dwell among His people. And so in the passage that Craig read just a minute ago before I got up here, you have the the account of Solomon when all of that construction is finished and when that house is done and that place is dedicated, Solomon prays before God. He says, put your presence here with us forever. 
And it says, the glory of the Lord came and filled that building. It's the same thing that was said about the tabernacle, by the way. That the glory of the Lord came and filled it. So that they knew, according to the promises made beforehand and the spectacle they're seeing right now, that God has come to be among His people. It's a place where heaven and earth overlap. Not by, God, not by man's design, but by God's design. Now, unfortunately, from that point going forward, the people were not faithful to God. And they did not keep their end of the covenant that was made between them and God. When he said, my name will dwell there forever as long as you are faithful to me. They were woefully unfaithful to him for generations on end. And so at some point, the prophet Ezekiel, as he's opening up his book, says that he saw the glory of the Lord depart from the temple. Now that's about the worst news that a prophet of God can give. That basically what that means is you have been unfaithful to him so much that he's decided to move elsewhere. God is leaving you behind because you have left him behind. But Ezekiel doesn't end by seeing the glory of the Lord depart from the temple. As a matter of fact, if you go over to page 684, which is Ezekiel chapter 43, Ezekiel sees a vision of a new temple, a new place to come in his future where God would one day dwell among his people again. And so beginning in chapter 43, this is what Ezekiel saw in his vision. He led me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Chebar Canal. And I fell on my face. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, here it is again, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places. Now Ezekiel has this vision and he sees the temple reconstructed. And there, there's these long passages here where there are all sorts of kind of funny sounding dimensions given to this temple. Because it doesn't sound like the old temple. This one is all kinds of new. And it doesn't even sound like humans could actually build this temple. Because they can't. Because this is a place where God has designed again the place where heaven and earth will overlap. And then He will come again and be in the midst of His people and will dwell among us. Now here's what's remarkable about Ezekiel's vision. It never happened. At least not in the sense that you would stop by the city of Jerusalem and see it happening. There was never a temple constructed that fit all the dimensions that Ezekiel describes in these three or four chapters. And there was never a time when one of 
the observers of the city of Jerusalem said, I saw the glory of God actually come in and fill the temple again. They rebuilt the temple, but the glory of the Lord never filled it again. And so the Old Testament kind of ends with the place where heaven and earth overlap there, but but God's part of the deal has not been finished. It, It ends with a temple there, but the glory of the Lord has not come into that place. And so while they may call it Bethel, the house of the Lord, it's not shown yet to be filled with His glory. And that's what gets us to the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, we actually read about the glory of the Lord coming into that temple, the one where the glory of the Lord never had. And we read about it in Luke chapter 2. When a young couple brings a newborn infant into the temple, and the glory of the Lord has returned to the temple. Because brothers and sisters, for all of those Old Testament stories about the places where heaven and earth overlap and where God comes to be with His people, all of those places, there was some sort of barrier. There was some sort of guard. There was some sort of gate. But we read in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and literally tabernacled among us. That's the Greek word in John chapter 1 and verse 14. That He became flesh and dwelt among us. And the barriers, the gates, the procedures, so many of those things are done away with because God has come and the glory of the Lord has returned among His people. And there are so many passages that show that this was the way God intended His people to think about it. That when Messiah came, it was the ultimate place where God made heaven and earth overlap. And so behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What a beautiful statement of the presence of God come to be with His people. Back in Micah, the prophet spoke that he knew this was going to come. And so he said, But you, O Bethlehem and Ephraim, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Well, there's only one character in the New Testament that we read about being born in Bethlehem. It can only be him. It is in Jesus that God has fulfilled this promise. And then this, and then this statement made. When Christ was born and God sent the heavenly messengers to say to a group of shepherds, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Take that and couple it with Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 when Paul is reflecting back on these events. And he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
Do you see how it was in the person, not the place, but in the person of Jesus Christ that God again made heaven and earth overlap and in the most wonderful and spectacular way that it had ever been done? Because that person, not a place, not a gold-plated building, not anything like that, but the person of Jesus Christ is the exact radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He is the one who upholds the universe by the word of His power. And it is that man, that person, that being where heaven and earth overlap in the most wonderful and perfect way, who said to the apostles and to everybody that would read their words, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is where heaven and earth overlap. It is in Jesus Christ who came and was the tabernacle, the presence of God Himself among us. And it is only in Him that humans can again ascend into heaven. And so it was Him, it was He who said, In John chapter 14, I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The place where heaven and earth overlap, we can't make that happen ourselves. We cannot get ourselves to that place. But he came and he came and made contact with this little blue marble hurtling through space so that we could again come into His presence. And that's the promise of the resurrection. That by the fact that He came to us, that He lived a perfect life, that He died a humble death, and that He rose again, it is by that promise that we know He will come again. And He will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep so that we will always be with the Lord. Through the whole Bible, we have been told the story of God making it so that heaven and earth can overlap. It is not by our work that this happens, but it is by His immeasurable grace. And so the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Jacob saw the presence of the Lord come down in contact with earth. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then, in the person of Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord came into the temple one more time so that the veil could eventually be torn and we can go into the temple, into the very presence of God. This is the story of redemption, brothers and sisters. And it is the story of Jesus come in the flesh to dwell among us. Fifty-five years ago, the Apollo 8 mission became the first humans to circumnavigate the moon. And they brought us this photograph. It's called Earthrise. You have probably seen it many, many times. And while now, 55 years later, it doesn't seem like that much of a spectacular photograph, 
It was the first time that anybody had been able to take in the smallness of this huge place where we live. And I love the story from that, from that excursion into space. Because the three men who were on board that spacecraft, as they orbited the moon and saw the earth from that distance for the first time that human eyes had beheld that kind of sight, they were given an opportunity to speak over the radio to the entire, the entire country. And over the radio... These were the words that they spoke. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and was void. And darkness was over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then when the fullness of time had come... God spoke these words. The light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul When at the cross the Savior made me whole My sins were washed away And my night was turned to day Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Amen. The fact that he came and dwelt among us is remarkable as a statement of truth, but it is powerful as an invitation to believe that truth. And so that is the invitation for you this morning, that if you have not been baptized in His name, if you have not come to Him and let His glory fill your soul as the glory of the Lord filled the temple, then this is your opportunity to do that today. And if we can talk to you about what that means and we can help you take the steps necessary to come closer to Him and to make that happen, then we'd love to give you an opportunity. I'm going to be leading the song, but you can come and you can speak to one of the shepherds about that. And we will open the Word of God and help you come and dwell with the one who has come to dwell among us.